Turn up the radio and sing along. It's time for another great song. This is the Great Song Podcast. Season's greetings and welcome once again to the Great Song Podcast. I'm Rob Alley. I am J.P. Mosier. And we're here to celebrate the greatest songs in modern music history. We're going to tell you what makes them great, why we think they're awesome, and why you should too. J.P., how you doing today, man? Man, I am doing fantastic. We're, re- we're releasing this episode on October 21st. Yeah. We always record a little bit ahead. Rob may not even know this, but the day before today, if this is October 21st, October 20th, is the three-year anniversary of when we started this thing. Man. Happy anniversary, buddy. Dude, hadn't even thought about it. We're 120 plus in episodes, started this thing October of 2017, and on we go. I didn't even get you anything. That's okay. (laughs) I do have your prize of unspeakable value in the car, which it's going to be a doozy. But I was thinking, too, so happy anniversary on that. The song we are covering, it's the 25th anniversary of the release week. It it came out October 25th, 95. Wow. So happy 25th anniversary. So I'm thinking back to myself, what do you do on a special anniversary in 95? So I'll put this in in perspective. I'm 14. I'm 14. Okay. So if this, if I had an anniversary at 14, and so I started thinking of probably go to the movies, right? Sure. So then I'm thinking about this one time that I went to the movies with my parents, and it was more than just me and the girl, but it was, uh, you know, me and the and then like other kids with us. Okay. Yeah. Group date. The group date. The parents went and watched Bridges of Madison County. What nice? Do you know what movie we would have watched in '95? 1995. We'll see how well you can. Was it? uh, Give me a genre. Cartoon Disney. Oh, 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 so that would be uh, 95. That's not Aladdin. It's not Lion King. uh, uh, It's... would that have been Pocahontas? Pocahontas. That's it. And I still remember going in to watch Pocahontas while my parents watched Bridges of Madison County. Pocahontas is a lot shorter than yeah. Bridges of Madison County. So then we played video games out in the in the lobby afterwards or whatnot. Nice. But I think if I had to choose today that is fitting, I'd probably go see Jumanji. Okay. Because did you hear about the tiger in Knoxville? There's a tiger loose. There's in- a tiger, as we record this, wow. loose in Knoxville. Yeah. And you grew up in Athens, pretty close Athens, to Knoxville. Athens, Tennessee, pretty so close. you guys would have been kind of worried about this tiger. Like, so, Yeah, it would have been. Uh, it would have so, mattered. So this, this Jumanji game might have been, <laughs> been the fix for Just all. in case, be on the lookout for a tiger. That's right. If it's still roaming around Knoxville, uh, yeah. be on the lookout for that. But happy 25th anniversary to this mega hit. Wow. Oh, we're so excited to talk about this one. Yes. Rob, you want to tell them what song we're talking about and about the treat that we have towards the end of this? Yes. Today we're talking about Flood by Jars of Clay, which I can't believe is 25 years old. It makes me feel super old. Me too, man. uh, Because I barely think of myself as being 25. So like, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? I'm still stuck in that. That's good. Uh, So... Man, 25 years ago this week. Yeah, this song's not old enough for me to have known 25 years. Yeah, right? Yeah. It's crazy. But we've got a special interview with Dan Hasseltine, lead singer of Jars of Clay. Uh, and uh, we had a great interview. He was a lot of fun. Super cool guy. We I love this guy. kind of feel like he was one of us. You know what I mean? He just fit right in. We've had a few interviews where, obviously, we've interviewed some, some uh, guys and girls from, like, earlier eras, uh-huh. you know what I mean, than us. Uh, but uh, I think Dan is was close enough. He's kind of right in there with us. He's just a little bit older. Um, same thing with like J.R. Richards from Dishwalla. Uh-huh. It just sort of flowed naturally. It felt very felt very comfortable pretty quickly. Um, so uh, felt like we were talking to more of a friend than more of a um, yeah than more of a rock star that we looked up to. Right. We do look up like, to him, even though he's a hero. He's still a rock star to us, but he felt like we could be friends a little more like, relatable. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, got a great interview coming up with Dan Hasseltine. But first, let's dig into this song. Here it is. This is Flood by. Jars of Clay. 
immediate memories. Are you in your youth group? Are you on a bus? I'm on a bus. I'm on a... No, I, I think I'm just in my headphones. Okay. For days, my world is a flood. Slowly I become one with the mud. But if I can swim after 40 days in my mind is crushed by the crashing waves that be up so high that I cannot fall to be I know, right. Thanks well for that. Done. Thanks well, for that, Jars. That was wonderful. I will tell you this. If a 14-year-old JP really wanted to continue this as a date, I'd have just been like, hey, you know that song that we listened to coming in here by Jars of Clay? Yeah. I'm going to talk to him in 25 years. That's right. We're going to yeah. be buddies. She would have never believed you. That's right. It would never, never. would have happened because he was he was a rock star. Is still a rock star. You'd have had to explain what a podcast is. <laughs> She was like, you are making up the weirdest stuff. We barely had the internet. Future boy. Like, like, we can't even, what is streaming, (laughs) you know? That's great. Didn't exist. Rob, tell me what you love about this song. Tell me anything that you want to kick us off with on this. Normally you ask the questions. You know, one of of the things I really love about this song is its weird chord progression. Okay. It's got a unique, it's like, um, so I think we're in, uh, what key are we in there? Is that C? Let me listen real quick. Hang on. Let me find this. Yeah. Okay. So we're in the key of C. Um, and the the chorus is just a C, B flat, G, all in these sort of non-chord chords. They're like very open. It's like a it's like a C sort of add nine with no third in it. And it's kind of, they kind of move around and they have some little extra color notes in them. Um and then the 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 verse uh is and the and the opening thing is uh C A flat B flat E flat which is a really weird it's almost like an inverted smells like teen spirit progression it's, you know what i mean it's 1 flat 6 flat 7 flat 3 1 it's a very odd progression and i've always it's unique you don't i've never heard that progression in any other song that i can think of um and so to have, there's only one thing you can think of when you hear that. You know what I'm saying? That's true. That's good. You're never going to hear another uh, an acoustic guitar playing that progression and not know that it's flood. Uh, You know what I'm saying? I like that. So immediately you go, you hear that strum pattern, and it's you're like, oh, this is flood, and and then all of a sudden it's instant uh, like memory synthesis, nostalgia. Yeah, like it's just so I I just love it for that. It's always it's connected to a certain time of your life, you know what I'm saying? A period for us where like, obviously they say the music you loved when you were like 15 is the music you're going to love forever. It's, you know what I mean? It'll all be, it'll always, you'll always call that like the golden era. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Um, and so this is a very specific moment in time that this song brings back. That's great. To so many people. Yeah, you know what I mean? So people that are, our, we have a pretty good following that are, are around our age. Yeah. So we hope it does the same thing for you. Absolutely. That it does for us. That's yeah. good, Rob. I like that. Um, and another thing I love about this is 
that it breaks a cardinal rule of like proper music, which is if you take music theory classes, they tell you never, ever, ever underline ever have moving fifths in a, in a, in a part, especially in a vocal part. If you're arranging for voices and that kind of thing, you have to sometimes do all kinds of weird things to avoid. So, um, moving fifths and moving fourths, it's the same thing. It gives it kind of a, um, like my professors would call it like a Roman chariot feel. Um, but if you listen to the chorus, the vocals are doing this moving forth thing. The, you've got the lift me up, lift me up. Those two that are, that are happening there. And, but if I can't swim after 40 days and my mind is crushed by the crashing waves, those are a fourth apart from each other or a fifth. If you think about it inverted, Okay. Um, and so if you're doing things quote unquote properly, you're not supposed to keep those harmonies intact. When one moves, the other should not mm-hmm. in other to, in, in order to keep proper voice leading is what they call it. Um, and this song breaks that rule magnificently and consistently through the whole <laughs> song. And it totally works. It gives it part of the character of the song that makes it unique. And so I love it for that because I don't have the guts to do that. I am a rule follower to the nth degree, and I won't let myself break those kind of rules. So I love it when other people do, and it comes out great. That's Because I'm like, good props for you. Good on you. Good on you, Jars of Clay. You did something that I don't, I'm not strong enough to do that. Well, those of you out there loved hearing the genius of Rob explain the theory of this song. This is a section that we've added the past few weeks that I am partially fond of. Oh, yeah. We're going to play Stump the Genius. Let's do it. So get ready to hear the jingle. We'll give a little pref- uh, little, little precursor on how this works. Right, let's play the jingle. Okay. We'll jump. Stump the genius. Stump the genius. Stump the genius. I said your part. All right, stump me. By the way, I don't want I don't want you guys to think that I came up with a name for this game. No, I no, do no. This not... is a, Rob's not self-proclaiming himself a genius. No. This is JP game. So yeah. those of y'all that don't know the way this game works, if this is your first week tuning in, uh, I try to find songs that I know um, yeah. that I think Rob will not know. Yeah. So my goal is I have to know it. So it has to be something that I know. I can't go super super obscure that I don't know it. Yeah. I can't sing along. But that I want to trick Rob. And yeah. I do different things. I, st- I think we started this on the Rupert Holmes week. I think Maybe was so. the week we started it where I play a song from that year that charts. It has to chart mm-hmm. like in the top 100. Um, since this week we're covering what I call a CCM artist. Okay. Um, he, he, they may not like being pigeonholed we'll into that. But we'll talk about that here in a little bit. Um, they can be characterized as that. They uh, – they did very well at the Dove Awards, yeah. which is the big award. It's kind of like the Grammys like for Christian, Christian music. music. Yeah. So I want to do 1995 Dove Awards version wow. of Stump the Genius. Okay. So all these, right. all these five, I tried to do five. We start, I think we did And JP is the king of, of obscure, like hits that you forgot you'd ever heard, <laughs> that kind of thing. You know, we said in episode one – uh, JP is a is a licensed uh, musicologist, or what did we call you? A music? I think that musicologist. Musicologist. That sounds wonderful. It's not true. No, no, I'm not licensed at anything. You're like an honorary licensed Thank musicologist. You. you know what I'm saying? I, I enjoy the random. So this, uh, so I'm going to play five songs. I'm okay. even going to give you 
the category that it's from. So okay. this, I'm going to start this one first. I probably wouldn't have gone first with it, but it's the only one I couldn't find on Spotify. So I'm going to have to play this okay. one on YouTube. Okay, all right. It did win a, an award, but it's, it's so we're going to start with this one. This was Contemporary Gospel Song of the Year. Contemporary Gospel, gospel Song of the Year. Gospel Song of the okay. Year, 95. Of the year. Of okay. the year. You can, uh, and we're going for artists. You're surely I'm going to know this. Surely you're going to know and it, And right? why is it not on Spotify if it was Song of the Year? Song okay. of the Year. Right. So here we go. 95. Um, so you're just going to name artists on these. So we're okay. starting with this Contemporary okay. Gospel Song of the Year. Here okay. we go. Contemporary Gospel Song of the Year. Too high to climb the I'll sing along with the chorus if you want me to. Help you. Okay, that's got to be Larnell Harris. Is it not? No. It is not. We uh, have stumped the genius. Do we give him is another Is it BBCC? It is not. Dang it. Oh, no. It's though. beautiful. This song is wonderful. No, I don't know that. That is Angelo and Veronica. I don't God even know. I don't even know what song, that is. Boom! Point for Mosier. Man. Point for Mosier. All right, okay, I'm behind now, the eight ball here. We're, we're behind. Rob. Rob normally does okay on this. Sometimes I don't know. Sometimes I've done pretty well. Let's go next. Let's go hard music album. Of the year, hard music, hard music. I like it it's, because in the in CCM at the time they didn't really want to call things rock, rock so it's hard it music. Like, that rock music. I bet those women wear pants. Hard music <laughs> album of the year. So I can't album. play the okay. whole album. So I'm okay. going to play, play the it. the number one hit, and okay. all you all you got to get is the, the artist. Here okay. we go. All right. Here hard we go. music. Hard music. Not difficult. It's just hard. You might need to wait till you get a vocal. 90, you know? yeah. 95. Is it Striper? It is not Striper. Striper. It's not, is it White Cross? It is not White Cross. That is Bride. Bride. Mosier oh. with a two-pointer. Oh, man. Okay. I kind of feel like oh. I need to go next to Hard Rock Song of the Year oh, since no. we're kind of in that vibe. Okay. I was so going to say this is just so I can have not, a softball to hit. No, no it's it's uh, maybe. you may. It's not, uh, it's not Bride. They yeah. won Album of the Year. This is Hard Rock Song of the Year. I'm going to play the song. Okay. Which is a great riff. This guy's amazing. Wow, I feel like I should really. If I name the guitarist, I wonder if it'll give you. The guitarist is Rex Carroll. I wonder if this is really before my era of Christian. I'm gonna help you. You said him prior. It's, so it's, is it White Cross? It's White Cross. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it's White Cross. I think this is just gonna, before I got into like CCM and CCM. I'm gonna Rock. play you my favorite White Cross lick. I love this guitar tone. This makes me so happy. All right. This is Take It to the Limit, by the way. This album is amazing. Scorpions in your face. Exactly. I'm 0 for 3. Okay, I'll give you a half a point on that one. All right. No, I don't deserve it. Video of the year. Video of the year. At the 95 Devil At the Awards. 95 Devil Awards. Oh, this sounds like when somebody dies on, like, scrubs. <laughs> and remember, I'm trying to stump him, so I'm trying to get a little tougher. But these are award winners. These are award I mean, winners. you would think. At the Devil Awards. Okay, 95. 
I didn't remember how long this intro was, sorry. And this is all genres of, of, of CCM, all subgenres of Correct. CCM. Hmm. The mountains. Crystal would help you with it. This is her era. The valley's low. Is. Oh no. I don't like it. Hit me with the chorus. I'm gonna guess on how to get to the chorus. I think I just jumped to verse two. Oh, okay. That made me want it to be Cindy Morgan. Cindy Morgan, boom! Rob with the. Oh, I'm proud of myself. Good job. Because I don't know the song. That was good. But she did a thing that made me go, I know that voice. That's awesome. Good job, Rob. Rob with a point on that one on Stump the Genius. Last one, number five, New Artist of the Year. I'm shooting for 200 here. So, New Artist of the Year. I got to play the song that. New Artist of the Year. In 1995. This is the name of the album. This is the name of the song. Yeah. This is the artist. Wait, the name of the song is the name of the artist? It's the name of the album. Oh, it's the name. This is the title track. Okay, title track. Okay. I I love this guy as a vocalist, honestly. I'm a fan. Is it Clay Cross? It is Clay Cross. Okay, there right. we go. Okay. Good job, Rob. All right. Rob salvaged there at the end. Man, I hit the Mendoza the line. That was good, man. Uh, that was a good save. If you'd have told or is the, me. Wait, is the Mendoza line 200 or 220? Uh, I think it's 220. It's I didn't make it. That's a, I mean, two for five. Right? That's two for five. 400. 200. Oh, 400. Oh, 400. Okay, yeah. Yeah, you're good. I'm good you're at math. That's right. <laughs> Stump the Genius, thanks for playing, Rob. 95, uh, 95 Dove Award edition. So I'm basically still I'm still the Ted Williams of Stump the That's Genius. Right. Let us know how you did out there, uh, those of you uh, oh, Dove man. Award listening. I, people, I feel like David Steinberg would have done okay. I was going to say, there were certain people who, who I know listen to the show who were screaming at their radios yeah. or whatever. How do you not know that's Brad? Screaming at their phones. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Everybody yes. knows Brad. Come on. Anyway, good game. I was, f- I was five years behind on Christian Rock. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's good. I'm gonna hand uh, hand the. I went as far back as back. I went as far back as Guardian, uh, but not really much before that. Guardian also a fantastic guitar player with oh, one Tony, Tony Palacios, Palacios yeah, who baby. was on our our, uh, our our like list. Incredible. See, I didn't I didn't get uh, Clay Cross until later. My Clay Cross jam is all about a man. Anyway, all right. Back to Flood by Jars of Clay. Uh, this is from the 1995 album Jars of Clay. Uh, it went to number 37 on the Billboard Hot 100, which for a uh, a quote-unquote CCM release, we'll call it a release on a Christian label. How about that, okay? That's so good. that we don't have to consistently call Jars of Clay a CCM band. Um, for, for, a, for a release from a Christian label in 1995 to break into the Hot 100, in, into the top 40, huge. Absolutely. Cannot, the impact of this song going that big on the Christian music industry cannot be overstated. Absolutely. Well it said. started a, I'm not going to say it, a deluge, Ooh. how about that, <laughs> of, um, of Christian music where it became a, a m- massive industry. Like mm-hmm. it, it sort of, um, you know, your Jars of Clays, your DC Talks, talks, and your Third Days, mm-hmm. your Audio Adrenaline, all in yep. this era, uh, really brought in a wave of... Not a flood. Of... Uh, of 
of this, you know, of, of the CCM, it was like a, an explosion of the CCM genre, Mm -hmm. um, because of songs like this. And so for this to go top 40 was, um, you know, unimaginably huge for the industry, not to mention for jars of clay, you know, themselves, it went to number 12 on the billboard modern rock tracks chart. I should have looked up the like top 10 from that week to see, see what, what it was in there yeah, with what kept it from being number one. I may even go back and, and slide that into the episode. If I can find it somewhere, maybe in our 0.5 episode on Patreon, oh, that's good. I will have found the, the top 10 modern rock tracks. Um, it, the album itself, jars of clay stayed on the billboard 200 for an entire year consecutively, uh, without, without dipping out of the, out of the billboard 200, which is a, an incredible feat in itself. Um, and, like almost impossible to do, right? Which I always, when I talk about an album that stayed on the Billboard 200, uh, I always think about Dark Side of the Moon, which stayed on the Billboard 200 for like 40 straight years. Amazing. (laughs) Like never (laughs) left, uh, which is... So that would make Flood money. (laughs) Yeah, yes. So that's that's like, um, that's one of those things that like, uh, you know, uh, who who is it in baseball with the hit streak? Um, Joe DiMaggio? Joe DiMaggio's, yeah, yeah 50-whatever-game yeah. hit streak. That'll never happen again. That was a freak thing that'll never happen. Dark Side of the Moon's, you know, stay on the, on the Billboard Top 200. That will never, that'll never happen again. Uh, we move on from music way too quickly. Um, <laughs> but this is one of the – Flood is one of the biggest hits ever by a band on a, on a Christian label. Uh, biggest mainstream hits, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it was and, – and part of, um, part of the mission, I think, of Jars was to present – um, they weren't an evangelistic band. Okay, they weren't going to get up and preach to you. Um, but they they weren't Carmen. They weren't going to yes. try to have an altar call with you. No, exactly, exactly. I've, I, you know, in, in talking to Dan and and reading some other interviews with Dan, you know, I, they were very um, intentional about not being preachy because, um, you know, I read some stuff where Dan was talking about um, that a lot of the CCM at the time was sort of one dimensional um and that it was as a matter of fact I think I pulled a quote from from another article um and I think this was from I think I saw this on song, songfacts.com um yeah okay so he said Dan always said that their their music sort of presents the truth by making you feel and connect with it not by being spelled out as a kind of a rote thing these are my words or always a happy thing. Uh, it's Christian music that embraces suffering as a reality instead of ignoring it and pretending that bad things don't happen to Christians, right? Mm-hmm. And Christians don't have bad days. He told songfacts.com that, quote, a one-dimensional picture of life as people who believe in Jesus and follow Jesus was a disservice to what Jesus was trying to accomplish on earth to kind of paint the picture that it was devoid of real suffering was a lie. That's good. And so it was like, you know, it, it was, it was... The other thing you say about, like, if you don't want to call a band a Christian band, then the next thing you call them is a band of Christians, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's yeah. what, they, that's what like, yeah. bands always get called. Well, they're not a Christian band, but they're a band but of Christians. But they're all Christians. But it's like, you know, it's not exactly that either. It's just like, we're making music, and we hope that there's something in the music that will, that will ring true with you, you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. and lead you down a pathway. Mm-hmm. That's fine. And, but we're not pretending that everything is always, you know, it's not everything is awesome from the Lego movie just because you became a Christian That's or good. just because you ascribe to a certain set of beliefs. Um, so, yeah. I like that. I like um, that section. You want to meet the band? 
yeah, let's meet the band. Let's do it. And then we're going to actually meet the band. Dan Hasseltine, That's right. lead singer of Jars of Clay. So let's meet the band. Hey, let's meet the band. It's time to meet the band. Hey, mama, let's meet the band. Let's all meet the band. Hey! All right, we're going to meet the band that played on Flood um, and this... Uh, this album, great album, by the way. Maybe we should touch on that here when we, when we book in this thing at the end. But uh, all four members of the band are credited with drum loops, yeah, which I think is neat. That, that it wasn't one guy doing drums and it wasn't one person picking the loops. Yeah, like they gave all four uh, creative uh, say in it. Something that we should point out is, and we'll we'll find this out as we meet the band. But Jars has never had a regular band member who was a drummer or bass. Mm-hmm. They don't have a traditional rhythm section at all. Uh, which is really weird. And they have guys who like regularly tour with them to be able to, you know, play some of this stuff live. But at the core band, no bass, no drums, which means their approach to each album comes out a little different and gives them room to experiment and try new things. Um, and of course, on this album, they were produced by Adrian Ballou of King, oh, yeah. uh, King, King Crimson, Crimson. Uh, who we'll who we'll talk about with Dan a little bit as well. And he he always had a unique approach and still does to just finding how can we. Uh, I think Dan said, how can we turn this sideways, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, and and make something sort of uh, different out of it. And we talk, Since we talked on Adrian Ballou, I had him in the Meet the Band section. Okay. I'll jump ahead. He's the producer. Something I didn't mention um, when we were talking with Dan, um, he did stuff with David Bowie, Frank Zappa, Talking Heads, but he has his own Parker Fly signature model. Oh, really? So anytime, and I love That's a Parker cool. Fly. Yeah. So either guitarists either love him or hate him. Yeah. Mark Farner that we interviewed yeah. loves Parker Fly. He's been playing forever. Yeah. Huge fan of Parker Fly. I like Parker Fly. Yeah. Phil Keggy, Parker Fly. It's fan. such a 90s guitar. It is I a 90s like. guitar. Yeah. That's really good. I like that. All right, on guitar, speaking of guitar, we'll start with him just since we mentioned guitar. Stephen Mason, he does guitar. He actually plays bass on the album. Some mandolin, backing vocals. Founding member with Dan and, and Charlie. They met at college at Greenville College. Huge Bears fan, now a Titans fan because he lives here. He is now a master barber at the Handsomizer yeah. here in Tennessee. Um, so you can go get, uh, you can go to a master barber yeah. who was once a member of Jars of Clay. That's right. Um, I I was I reached out to him trying to get before we got Dan uh-huh. to see if we could, and it's he's very booked. Yeah, like he's. Very busy. Yeah. So if you want to go see the Handsomizer, book now because and, he's a busy guy. And as we're recording, you know, touring is not a thing. Correct. There's starting to be some inklings as we're touring, as, as we're recording, of like live shows with limited audiences and, the, you know, all that stuff. But, uh, you know, I read where actually doing the barber thing as a sort of day, you know, day gig gives him freedom to be like, I'm not going to be in. This day, this day, and this day because we're going to go play. Yeah, you know what I mean? So great. still, as Jars continues in whatever form, he you know is able to do that, but then still have this cool uh, cool side thing. Absolutely. Uh, gear. I'd like to talk about his gear. He plays a Grand Auditorium 12-string okay. Taylor. Um, Great-looking guitar. Um, we talk a little bit with Dan on some of my favorite live performances and guitar performances ever. His guitar part on Worlds Apart, um, which we'll talk about uh, on their live. How we touched and went our separate ways. No, no, no different. That is Journey. Oh, my bad. That's, that's okay. all right. That okay. would have been Neil Shaw on bad. guitar. Dang it. Um, you know I have the weirdest time with Journey. Connections uh, yeah, with Neil so Shaw. Weird. That's right. Um, plays a Fender Telly um, through a Vox AC30 and Matchless Chief guitar amps, which yeah. I, was, uh, I was excited to look up. You can't go wrong with a Telecaster through an AC30. Through an AC30, I know, right? You really can't. That, that's, that's well said. It's perfect. 
Um, on guitar and backing vocals, Matt Odmark. I think it's Odmark or Odmark. I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. Yeah. It's O-D-M-A-R-K. Yeah. Um, he replaced uh, Matt Braun Louis, who started the Hawk and Paris band with Dan and Jeremy. I'm a huge Hawk and Paris fan. We talk about that with uh, with Dan on there. For those of y'all that haven't listened to him, check out Freaks. Check out all kinds of stuff uh, by the Hawk and Paris. It's, it's wonderful. Wake me up. So good. Frozen heart. Money. Anyway, um... The aforementioned Matt, uh, not Odemark, but the other one, did a lot of stuff with Point of Grace, Plum, lots of Plum crossover, Nikki Leonti, Jackie Velasquez, Rebecca St. James. Nikki Leonti. That was a name. Out of all those, yeah. that one was one that I had forgotten about. Yeah. I, it was, wow. Okay. Anyway, sorry. Didn't mean to interrupt, but <laughs> it just caught me off guard. That's Nikki right. Leonti. There we go. Yeah. So Odemark, who we're talking about here, studied literature at the University of Rochester, Two notable musicians went there. So he went to the University of Rochester. Tony Levin, oh, bass player, solid. went there. Steve Gadd, drummer. Yeah. So if you're going to put together a rhythm section yeah. and you want your bass play, you want to play guitar. Uh, also, um, Tony Levin, King Crimson. Yeah, right? there we go. Also. Yeah. Yeah. With Adrian Ballou. There we go. Liquid Tension Experiment. Yes. Ah, with the stick fingers. Yes. Good stuff, Tony Levin. Um, on organ, piano, backing vocals, Charlie Lowell. Yeah. He's a descendant of the Mayflower Pilgrims. Hey, now. Miles Standish and John Alden. As wow. many people as we talked about, how have I never brought up that somebody was a descendant of a Mayflower? Well, I mean. Aren't we all, I guess? But no, not really. Well. Mm, not really. I mean. No. I know. No, we're not. <laughs> no, anyway. There, there no. are lots of other There's immigrants. lots of other yeah. That's true. But anyway, it was a. Uh, it was. He's very rich. He's very big on his heritage, which I think is cool that he looked back up into that. Yeah. Are, do you do heritage? It's stuff? something cool to be connected to. No, I have no. I, I have no idea about my heritage. I, I I'm not as, as big in that as I should be. Barely I have, know my own mom. That's right. That sounded worse than it is. That, I was just making a joke, yeah, but he I know loves there, his mother. I know there are lots of people who don't, actually literally don't know their mom, so yeah. I don't mean to make light of that. that Sorry. That's, yeah. Yes, <laughs> that was good. Anyway, uh, we've. Uh, that was Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we should move on. On lead vocals, Dan, you guys are going to love chatting with this guy. Yeah, he is awesome. Listen to the, all the stuff that he's done outside of Jars 2. He's yeah. got other side projects that are really good. His solo stuff's good. He's a great follower. Follower. <laughs> he's a great follow on Twitter. Yeah, he is. Follow him on Twitter for all of your music wants, likes. He was doing a thing during like during the during the height the of, apex quarantine, of quarantine. He was doing like a song a day cover yeah. you know what i mean it was very it was very cool he's a great follow and he's also doing some really important stuff away from music which yeah. we'll talk about blood water mission absolutely all, all that kind of stuff so um i i think let's cut let's go ahead and yeah, take it to all right you guys we enjoy. can talk about dan but we'll let you hear us talk that's with right. dan about yes. dan let's meet him together that's right all right let's go let's to dan, meet the dan dan hasselton charles of clay this is the great song podcast Ladies and gentlemen, as promised, we are here with Dan Hasseltine from Jars of Clay and many, many other things. Uh, superstar in my world, like in the in the world I grew up in, it didn't really get bigger than Jars of Clay. And uh, and Dan was the the mouthpiece, the the voice of Jars of Clay. So we're Dan, we're so excited to be uh, talking to you today. Thanks so much for joining us on the show, man. Well, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. This is a great way for me to, to spend part of a day. So thanks. Outstanding. Well, uh, we hope we make it worth your time. And uh, I guess I guess time will tell. Um, so I, we want to start off with a, a, just a question about, uh, obviously, we're, we're doing an episode on Flood. Uh, and I just wanted to know, you know, Flood was, became a, a Billboard Top 40 hit mainstream. Um, 
for a for a you know a sort of a faith rooted band, a CCM band, however you want to classify Jars of Clay, um, in that era to break the Billboard Top Forty. I mean, still, I guess it was a huge deal. You had kind of Amy Grant in there before you know the early nineties, um, but you guys broke in as like an alternative band in the heart of the like alternative era. What did that mean for you, and how did life as an artist change subsequent to that? Uh, I mean, it was a it was a pretty big deal. We were, you know, it was for us. It, it was not. I mean, it wasn't a huge um, shift in in what we had hoped would happen with our music. I think as a band, when we were when we were first starting out, we all of us in the band grew up listening to you know, all kinds of music and, and very little of it actually had been kind of relegated within the, the Christian music space. Like we certainly, we, we had listened to Michael W. Smith and Amy Grant and some of those artists as well, but like the choir and groups like that. But, but most of the stuff we listened to and grew up in that were influences of ours were, were bands, you know, like Depeche Mode. And um, one of the guys was, was really into the Indigo Girls and some of these other groups that back then the folk side of things um the beatles of course and led zeppelin and so so you know for us having the the song come out and um have success on this kind of pop radio was was exciting for us um the uh, radio station out of seattle one in boston one in st louis all started playing the song and this is back when you could still champion a dj could still champion a piece of music and go like hey yeah we want you should check this out and send it to other djs and it just kept spreading um and i loved that it was like to me it was a it it felt like it was a good affirmation that what we were doing um was that we could be part of the the general culture conversation which is really what we wanted to be a part of so yeah that's very cool. Um, yeah. And you guys, you guys helped usher in um, a kind of a whole new boom for the, uh, the CCM genre as a whole. You know, you guys were right in that wave with DC talk, you know, audio adrenaline third day, that whole, like you guys were the, you know, part of the front part of that wave in a, in a genre that exploded in the mid to, to late nineties. Could you yeah. tell us just a little bit about, the 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 quote unquote Christian music scene in the mid to late nineties and kind of how it evolved as the genre grew. Yeah, I you know I look back on that era and and I, I look back on it kind of two ways. Um, a little bit mournful um, that it it didn't continue the way it was going, mm. uh, and you know, because because what I really loved about that era was that it was so experimental. Like you really had, you know, there were we were kind of playing against back then. If you remember, there were like, if you went into a Christian bookstore, (laughs) you would see a poster and the poster would, would say like, it would have all these comparisons. Like, if you like, then you'll like 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 this. Yes. We actually did an episode uh, on that. We did a full full episode (laughs) on that. If you like this, listen to this. We did. Right. And I think for us, so we, we kind of entered into a music space where, where it felt like the majority of what was happening was responsive. Like artists were basically saying, Oh, there's a band that, Oh, Pearl jam's, um, you know, really popular. We need a band that sounds like Pearl jam or, you know, and they kept doing things like that where, where it was not about being innovative and being the front runner 
in a, you know, in a genre or creating something unique. And we, we entered into that space with a real desire to say, you know what, we want to be different. We don't really want to, we're not out here just to be the Christian or the kind version of <laughs> this other band, you know, like it just, that didn't matter to anyone. There's a, um, Chuck Cloisterman, who is a writer for Rolling Stone and Spin Magazine and a lot of those, had a book called uh, Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs. <laughs> and in it, he just, he talks about this uh, traveling with uh, a Guns N' Roses cover band. And he, he basically says a cover band is, is like the most depressing thing you can be because at your very best, you're somebody else. Mm. And, and I think that's really <laughs> some ways. For a lot of Christian bands in that era, you had to like it, at your very best, you just simply had to sound like somebody else wow, for sure. that was popular, and and that's a very depressing thing. So that was happening, but while that that was the culture, there were artists and everyone that were kind of pushing against that, and we were all really just saying, you know what, we don't we don't have a desire to make music that sounds like another band. We desire to make music that's our own expression is our own level of experimentation and and you were seeing a lot of that even the and the content i think the 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 content of songs the what what people were writing about was much more vast than even it is now uh people were adopting kind of that sense that you can the only rule for songwriting was to tell the truth like mm. christian artists should be able to talk and describe a lot of different things um we shouldn't be bound to just stuff that an eight-year-old would would be able to ingest but right. let's let's write for adults also and it felt like we were pushing those those bounds a little bit um so yeah it was a great uh, it was a great season uh, a lot of the bands that i loved in that era, i mean even like sixpence um switchfoot was kind of coming up um yeah a lot of those artists like that were i mean they were in that conversation um plum uh, was another one that was kind of started out that way uh and so yeah it was just a really cool time for the creativity of christian music to be developing so you you guys moved to tennessee in like 94 do, do you remember what what jobs you had when you came when y'all because oh, yeah. i know you had to have jobs because y'all weren't quite there where did y'all work what was y'all yeah work? well we we you know we, we moved to town because we were going to school we were all sophomores uh with the exception of steven mason who was a freshman um the, the four of us moved in to nashville because we had won this battle of the bands competition and when we were at at college, we kept getting phone calls from record labels and, you know, they're all Nashville based. And so we, we said, well, let's just go down to Nashville for the summer. Um, and then if nothing happens, we'll go back to school. Well, what that ended up looking like was us, we got a job at a place called office max. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. And we did, um, we basically remodeled the store from, from nine at night until seven in the morning. So y'all all worked at the same job. We worked at the same place. Oh yeah. my goodness! Um, yeah, and it was uh, you know it was a tough tough job because we would work from nine at night until seven in the morning, and then we'd go back, go to sleep until about two o'clock, get ready, go take meetings with record labels from like three to six, come back, eat something, go to sleep, get up at nine to go to work again. Wow. <laughs> that was kind of our routine for for a while until we we kind of ended up signing a deal uh and kind of getting out on the road but 
yeah, it was that was our first job was uh, working all together at Office Max. Now we all at, after a little while we all separated and worked at different places. Some some of y'all um, went to Staples. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, we all had, we had that in our in our uh, tool belt now, so we could all all work in office supplies in different <laughs> right. forms if we needed to. Yeah. yeah. Well, we've mentioned that we are are, are covering flood. Um, this the producer on this was Adrian Ballou of King Crimson. Now, were you a King yes. Crimson fan? Were they on your radar, or was it just happened that it just happened to land that he was the he was the guy? Um, I was a fan of Adrian actually uh, prior to his like King Crimson stuff because he was part of doing work with the Tom Tom Club and with Talking Heads. Yeah, and so those were the those were the pieces of music that I recognized him from. And then obviously some of his solo stuff too that he had done, and uh, so I was a fan. I mean, I was an MTV kid, so you know, I used to watch his music videos, and they were always pretty cool and entertaining. And yeah, so he to have him as a producer on the project was was really just. Um, I mean, it was huge. Yeah, he's pretty legendary. That was big. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, live when y'all do flood, you play brushes and snare and a little drum setup. Well, the most recent I've seen of you doing. It. Are you a yeah. drummer by trait? Because now I know you play piano on your. Tw- what's your What's your instrument? Yeah. I mean, I when I'm with Jars, normally I just sing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I for years and years I was uh, that was what I did. I was the front mm-hmm. man, and so I would just be up there. And we have a great um, keyboard pianist, Charlie Lowell, is fantastic. Um, and so there wasn't much need for me to, to be playing much. So I would grab things like every once in a while, I'd grab an accordion or <laughs> awesome. a melodica or, or have some bells or something just to keep me occupied every once in a while to change things up. Yeah. But uh, yeah, more recently though, it's been, it's been fun to play, you know, and this is a part of just the band kind of shrinking down to fit certain venues and spaces. Like we love playing small shows now. Um, we are not obviously playing, arenas nobody is anymore now but we love just the four of us going out and getting to play and so i'll just take up and yeah have a kick snare hat up front and play drums while i sing yeah, which is interesting yeah i've learned a lot about the hemispheres of the brain <laughs> it's a cool yeah. Uh, yeah trying to sing and play drums sing and play it's, sure. it's so cool yeah it's, it's yeah. impressive the way that that you're able to do you happen to have it? any favorite uh singing drummers uh, I mean, Phil Collins is sure. great. Don Henley yeah. is great. Obviously, uh, Levon uh, Helms, Helms from uh, the band. You know, they're all great uh, singers who also play drums at the same time. Fantastic. So, yeah. I don't know what's the guy. The guy from Restless Heart. You remember that the guy with the cool mustache <laughs> and the long mullet? Yeah, yeah. He was awesome. He was a good singing yeah. drummer. Anyway. Well, and you know, the first one that I saw do that really that I first was really aware of was um, if you remember the band Jellyfish. Uh, that were around in the nineties. Well, they were, they were kind of this producer super group band. If you ever get a chance, go, go find, um, jellyfish albums and listen to it. Um, these guys are just phenomenal. All like huge, incredibly talented musicians all on their own. They, each one of them could have taken the band a different direction, which is why they probably didn't last very long um just too much talent all in one space <laughs> but yeah. um but they they had a drummer that would, would come out in front and play and sing and it was just such a powerful statement on stage so i had always kind of held that in my back pocket and said oh that might be fun one day to figure that out yeah fun for sure Ta- speaking about drummers uh, you know uh, i noticed uh listening back to that first album um 
you know, almost all the drums on it, if not all the drums, I don't know, you can speak to that, are, are sampled. Um, you know, they're not, they're not live drums. What was the, what was the thinking, uh, as far as using, using samples as opposed to live drums? Um, yeah. and, um, and how much, how different was it to find an album's worth of good samples in 1994 versus, <laughs> you know, being able to do it now with like the, you know, with your phone. Right. Yeah. I, it was, so back then it was the rave culture era. So we were kind of, we were, because we were music fans, you know, we would, we were ingesting music of all different kinds, but like the, the tech, techno hip hop, all of that was kind of infused into what we were doing. And, and we loved the sound of, of sample loops. Like there was just something really cool, creative and raw about it. Um, at the time when we were starting there, there still weren't a lot of artists that were blending acoustic instruments with sample loops yeah. like that. A lot of it was staying in that kind of rave culture techno space. A lot of electronic music or pop music was using it, but but they hadn't really moved it over into like allowing folk music uh, to to have a grab at that. And so we um, we loved just the sound of that. Um, it wasn't necessary. I mean, nowadays I feel like a lot of the reason we have such a high level of people using sample loops and drum machines is because nobody quite knows how to actually record real drums well. <laughs> um, you know, and they don't have the space for it. Everyone's making records in their so basement. Yeah. Or, and so they're just, you know, why not? Let's just use all these 808 sounds or loops or things we can create sequences in our own living rooms. So people are doing that now, but um, we actually, we ended up using uh, a pretty good, collection on the record of both sample loops but then we would we we would just really treat our live drummer uh like the sounds that that adrian would would put together and and uh, noah evans who is the engineer on that song um they we used a live drummer guy named tim smith who is actually my uncle (laughs) yeah right um and so it was a little family connection there um he actually was um he was the drummer for a band called Poco. Um, Poco, like the legendary while. like country yes. rock Poco. Oh, that's in yes. wow. That's Rob's yeah. dad's Mount Rushmore. We yeah, talked we about literally, that. Oh. Not like well, not go. too long ago. That's yeah. his band. Yeah. So uh, so Tim Smith was drummer for them, and he came in. We had him come in and play, uh, and just it was an interesting kind of session because we were taking these drum sounds and really manipulating them. So where they didn't really sound like live drums anymore. And I, I felt like for him, it was probably a little depressing because <laughs> he's so used to playing like these great natural sounding drums and we were coming in and just going, Oh yeah, we're going to make this sound really awful. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but when it all goes together, it's going to sound great. But yeah, it, uh, but we did. So that album, although it's, it's very um, sample loop heavy, there are actually a lot of live drums. They just, they just don't sound like live drums. That makes, yeah, it, you mentioned that you were, we know you're primarily a front man. I went back and watched the 97 uh, Dove Awards when y'all did Crazy Times. If you could go, te- if you could tell 1997 Dan some pointers about stage presence before you go, or, to, or whatever, what would you tell uh, the polo shirted, uh, combed haired kid oh, that went out there in, in 97? What would be your, your bit of advice? Well, you know, one would be to just enjoy it a little bit more. Um, you know, we were, we were all kind of scared to death back then. Um, every, I don't know, every 
every time you get on stage when you're starting out, at least I did, I kept I was so self-aware of every move I was making, of every like nuance in my voice, if something would crack or I wouldn't get a note the right way. And it would just freak me out. And it would take all the life out of those performances <laughs> for me, you know. And I spent the majority of my time on stage in those early days just pacing back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's funny. I would never stay in one spot. And a lot of that was just uh, I didn't know what to do with myself. <laughs> and I was nervous. And so I would move back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And eventually, I like somebody handed me a few reviews of jar shows over the years. And they're like, hey. So there's a consistent thing happening here. <laughs> shows. Everyone keeps saying that you look a little bit like a caged lion, but you're not, you're not stopping and connecting with your audience. Well, so, so for me, some of it would have just been like, just ease off, like enjoy the moment of being up there and just, yeah, just, yeah. Experience it. Be present. Don't be afraid. Yeah. Well, the pointer I would give is please tell Steven to not play that guitar part with his teeth because he uh, – <laughs> <yes. Yeah. laughs> one of the neat things that was done at the end, though, they're like, and now we're going to present Song of the Year. It's Kenny Rogers and Jeff Moore coming out to present Song uh, of the Year. I was like, well, how neat is that on stage? Kenny Rogers and Jeff Moore. <laughs> what an interesting yeah. combination there. Right? Yeah. Did you guys ever do any um, um, like performance coaching? I know there's like the Tom Jackson – you know, sort of school yeah. and method. Did you guys ever, ever have any of that? I'm super fascinated. We did actually. We did. We, we spent a little bit of time with Tom Jackson, actually. Um, Tom was great. Uh, you know, I think it's good for all beginning artists to do that. And, and we were kind of still in that era before all of the, like the massive video screens mm -hmm. and production was available to, you know, to alternative music artists, you know, we, right. like you had the big arena artists and the ones that could really fill an arena that way and they could do it. But, you know, you didn't have like, now I feel like because of the way the music business works, a lot of artists can lean on, you know, a video wall and like incredible lights and all this kind of production. Yeah. So they don't really have to learn how to command a stage. Um, and, and I, I think we had to, we were just still one of those bands that we, we, if it, we weren't going to command the stage and no one was going to, and we had to figure that out and it was difficult. And I wasn't really much of a front man who, like, I was a very reluctant front man. Hmm. Um, I had grown up playing piano and keyboards and the bands I was in in high school. I, I was a, you know, I was a back guy, a support. I never was the guy that was out front. And so when jars was, starting to like develop i became the front man and i was kind of like really <laughs> i have to do this i don't really want to do this and uh and and so i i had to learn some confidence and what to do where to where to look where to stand and so we did we we did a lot of that kind of coaching with tom jackson and he he did a lot for us i think early on What's uh, what's something you can say to somebody who is a front man? Now, I always I've always felt like it's so much easier for like for me or or for people to be natural on stage if I'm holding an instrument, right? But you put me up yeah. there with just a microphone or a mic stand, and it's a whole other level of self awareness, like you said. What's what's something yeah. that you would tell somebody who is the front man of a, a or or front person of a band um, to to be able to connect with their audience well? How would you what's what's one thing that you could tell them that was a big deal for you? Uh, I would actually have people 
like slow down. Um, a lot of the times what, what happens and part of it for me, like my whole idea of pacing back and forth, like I could never focus on a single person in the audience. Hmm. Everybody was just kind of a blur. And that was a safety net. You know, that was a bit of being able to say, oh, like, I don't actually have to see someone's reaction to what's happening. You sure, know? Like, yeah, so yeah. If somebody's cringing out in the audience, I won't see it. <laughs> I'll miss it. They may uh, mess up the yeah. lyrics. <laughs> they yeah. may not sing them right. Um, but at the same time, you really you miss out on on the fact that the reality of of the interaction that's going on is that uh, if you are too self-aware, then you're out on stage and you're simply taking from the audience. Mm. Um, you're taking because you need the affirmation. You need someone to just affirm what you're doing up there. Make sure that you're they're kind of giving you the energy that says you're doing great up on stage, but that's just um, a very selfish way to, to enter the stage. The, the goal of music has always been to give. It's always been to offer this to the crowd. Like I'm a, we're out on stage for the audience. They're not there for us. Um, and so if you can um, just keep that in mind all the time as an artist, like the goal is to just be giving all the time. And when you're giving, you're not so concerned about your own feeling. You're not so concerned about your own performance. Even it's just, I'm being generous in this moment. I'm offering this song, this experience to you. I want you to be able to enjoy it. And that's it. So, um, I, but I think that's hard to do. Uh, if you're really self-aware, you have to kind of get over that and just keep reminding yourself as a front person, like I'm out here to give, I'm out here to offer and be generous. Well, you definitely have uh, got to learn by touring with other big uh, performers. I know you've toured with Matchbox 20. How was it touring with Sting? Like you're one of the few people that we'll get to talk yeah. about that was actually like getting to tour with Sting. How was that? What'd you learn? Uh, I mean, that was a, such a great, moment to be able to be out and uh i mean a, a sting audience back then was a, a music loving audience you know they just yeah they were great and we were playing in we, we were doing texas shows with him and so it was like houston austin and dallas big outdoor sheds and so we're playing for twenty thousand people a night and getting out there and um and it was a bit shocking because we would get this a standing ovation every night and people would want us to come back out. And, you know, I've been to a lot of shows where the opening band, everyone's just has to tolerate them. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and everyone's like, I even, I saw that happen. Cheryl Crow opened up for um, the Rolling Stones and people were like, get off the stage. And you're like <laughs> going, what? But this is, but she's great. Yeah. <laughs> she's amazing. Uh, and so knowing like that, for a sting audience they actually appreciated what we were doing it was a huge that's a high compliment right there yeah it was yeah well, while we're saying compliments this is a good time for me to just i'm just gonna lavish you with a few compliments of stuff that i love <laughs> that you've been a part of okay so this I'm, is where we try to make you as uncomfortable this is as i'm gonna be fan jp <laughs> okay. here for a second so you can just smile and say thanks that was neat that was cool this is kind of our Beautiful. our uh, paul mccartney chris farley episode moment yeah. here yeah that was awesome Great. so worlds apart the live version that you do on the 11 DVD is in my top yeah. 20 live concert moments of all time. The combo, the combination of your vulnerable vocals at the beginning, and then it just gets huge when he pulls out the telly at the end. I think that is dynamics at its peak for jars. So I think wow. that's one of my, fa that's my favorite version that you've done. You've done a ton of different live ones since then, but that's my number one. Uh, 
Number two, I want to I want you to get to talk a little bit about this just a second. The chair, the song for the long kiss goodnight. Now, my uncle loves that movie. Uncle Steve, I know you're listening to the podcast. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks for introducing me to that movie. Now, yeah. that song you were originally I should let you tell the story, but weren't you originally asked to do Heroes? Am I right on that? Yes. Okay. Yeah. You, you want to tell that story? Yeah, sure. We we were approached um back then. So we were approached uh, initially, the woman that was doing the music supervision for that film uh, was a woman named Bonnie Greenberg, if I remember correctly. Um, and she is just a huge fan of the David Bowie song Heroes and was looking for kind of a, a you know, an alternative band to play a version of that song. We um, we started working on it. We actually started working on it with Adrian blue and had been kind of had kind of found a version of it that we we sort of liked um but we weren't like super sold on it and so we we went back to the uh the company well actually first thing so because we were a christian band you know david bowie obviously you know very kind of gender fluid in all of his characters and the way he presented himself on stage and in his lyrics and that song basically flips the idea that i will be your queen Mm. and you will be my king but it's a guy singing it and our christian record label at the time had a real problem with that like they didn't want us to sing this thing that could be construed as being gender fluid or flip that uh, script at all and they're like you'll which, never sell another album again if you do that right you're well, finished in this yeah. town <laughs> yeah yeah and so we so actually we were in the studio and um adrian actually called david bowie up on the phone that's casual that's awesome um, <laughs> you're like yeah we tour with sting we call up david bowie yeah, nothing major. yeah and and asked him uh are you know is it okay if we um we change this lyric uh, you know, and, and I think that was that was the right choice for Adrian to call him yeah, sure. and to honor him because because when you flip it back the other way, it, it just it does change the t- changes the tone of the song, the character mm-hmm. of it, and and so I felt like that was that was a, a huge way to honor David Bowie in that. Well, at the end of the day, the label didn't really want us to to release it. We were we decided okay, well let's do something different. So we called bonnie up and we said hey can we just we're gonna write a different song and we just kind of took this whole idea of the flawed broken hero and uh and put it into the song the chair which really ended up being a song about a kid who was living beyond their um their physical abilities you know it was a song about a kid in a wheelchair um, and in fact, in fact, I've got uh, an original lyric from it that one of the guys in the band had written the title instead of it being the chair. It was called Dude Drives a Wheelchair. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Well, they didn't play enough yeah. of it in the movie. I'll give them that. They, they didn't give no, me, they didn't play enough of the song. But uh, yeah, good. Dude Drives a Wheelchair. Dude That's Drives great. a Wheelchair. Yeah. Uh, the last thing that I'll highlight on on my on my Dan uh Fanness is I love the Hawk in Paris. I've I've been oh, I think it's great. Freaks is obviously the one that everybody knows. That's the hit. But other stuff on there yeah. is so uh, your other stuff is good too. Wake me up, Frozen Heart, everything. Yeah. So I am I'm a Hawk in Paris fan. Um, as actually as much as a Jars fan. So I know the Jars Brilliant. listeners now are like, what in the world? That's blasphemy. But it's it's so good. So I'm a fan of oh. that. And, Thank uh, you. And I know Rob uh, is a fan of. Go ahead, Rob. You talk. talk about yeah. I, so my wife and I are huge fans of uh, of the series uh, 
Chosen that has come out. The yeah. Chosen. And yes. I know you were involved with the music on The Chosen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, for anybody who's listening, the, the, the Chosen is a, a crowdfunded uh, series that season one has has been put out. Season two is being funded now uh, as we record, and um, and it's it's about the life of Christ and sort of the, the all the characters uh, you know therein. Um, and uh, but it's really unique. It's done through an app, and basically you can watch it one time all the way through for free, and then you can, if you purchase it, you pay the way forward for other people to be able to watch it, and it's sort of spread virally. Um, and it's so well done. It is extreme. I mean, I just, my wife and I just wept through the whole thing, every single stinking episode. Um, and so I know you were involved with the music on that. I'd love to hear a little bit about how that came about and what it was like and, and the process of being part of a crowdfunded series like that. Yeah. Well, that was, um, Dallas Jenkins, who is the director for that show. Um, he and I go pretty far back. Um, I had scored a movie uh, that he made, uh, he was the producer for, um, a long time ago. I don't even remember what year it was, but it was called, uh, hometown legend. And I was doing the the score and then also music supervising. And, and at that point, you know, he, it was a, it was a high school football Christian film. So okay. you know, I was going to say, I think I've, I think I own original. that movie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, right. No one had ever done anything like that before. Right. Never. So <laughs> a bunch of ragtag <laughs> kids that turn it all film. around. <laughs> yes. Um, but he had asked me to come in and be a part of it. It was something I'd never done before. Jars was on a break and I thought, Oh, this might be really fun to, to do something like this. So it was a great experience. Um, but I kept pushing Dallas back then on the music side to just say, Hey, let's kind of work outside of the, the CCM Christian music space, um, for this film. I, cause I always feel like the problem with, with some of those films is they circle the wagons and every, part of the artistic expression so the story is very much christian oriented it checks all the boxes for people who are christians so they feel like they can enjoy the film without it offending their sensibilities um and then the music is always done by christians and then a film comes out and it can be a great story and no one beyond a certain small bracket of christians will ever watch it and i was like let's let's find ways of just sort of expanding this a bit and so i i I was able to get, um, you know, I worked with the guys in Fat Possum Records down in uh, uh, Mississippi um, who did like our all Burnside stuff and blues music. And we added that in and um, Nickel Creek was just kind of beginning to develop. And so um, I had spent a little time with Sean and Sarah Watkins. And so I had called them and asked them if we could use one of their songs. And we did. So it was just, it was a lot of, pulling artists in that were not within that Christian music space. And Dallas loved that. So when he started working on this idea for the chosen, he called me up and he just said, look, I really want to do this story about Jesus, but I don't want it to feel or sound like the the traditional way we look at stories about Jesus. I don't want beautiful strings. I don't want (laughs) music that, you know, that everybody uses that's overly dramatic or too sentimental when it comes to these stories. And he said, so I'd really love it if you could help pull this out of that space. And I I really thought about it because, you know, it's, it is a hard thing to want to commit to a story, uh, a telling of the story of Jesus, because for the most part, people never do it right or they never do it well. You know, and it's yeah. always the same story 
but Dallas, the more he talked about it, and he, the more he said, look, we're, we're trying to create something that, that is very character-driven. We want to create character arcs and backstories for all these people that encountered Christ, but but you never really knew what their life was like. And if they were real people, then how come we can't sort of put some of these pieces together and connect the dots? And I thought, well, that's really cool. And the, the big phrase he used that got me hooked was he said, we're trying to to in essence create the Friday night lights of the Jesus story. Hmm. And <laughs> you're like, like I've well, already made a football movie. I'm set. <laughs> yeah, Let's do this yeah. thing. Yeah. Well, I was like, well, I think Friday Night Lights was one of the reasons that TV was invented. You know, for me, I felt like it was a it was really powerful, great storytelling, great character development. Um and I thought, well, all right, Dallas, I'm in. <laughs> so so we started working on it. And it's been it's been really a, a gift. I've loved being able to partner with Matt Nelson. Was, was our longtime cellist on the road with Jars. Um, he's just an incredibly creative guy. And so between the two of us, um, we've been able to really develop a great musical palette for the show. Well, it's fantastic. And the, and the, and the music is, is, you know, just as important a part as, as, uh, everything else, which is well done. And I can vouch for the fact that, you know, I don't, uh, I, I am not a great purveyor of, of Christian visual media. Uh, you know, I'm not the guy who's watching, um, you know, no, no offense to these, but like yeah. fireproofs and facing the giants and, you right. know, those kind of things. They're just not for me. Um, but, uh, but to anybody who's listening, I, I challenge you to just go watch the chosen. If you're a believer or not, um, it is, I, I'm telling you, it is the, it is the first show you will binge watch about Jesus, uh, and, and then immediately binge watch again. Uh, it's, it's so well done anyway, the way it builds the characters, it's all fantastically done. So, uh, yeah. well done on that for sure. Um, you did mention sort of the um, I'll try to be uh, try to be kind the um, policing that goes on uh, within certain communities uh, and in your in your Twitter bio you say you are a troll attractor um, <laughs> how do you deal with things like Twitter backlash uh, when you're having you know um, thoughts that are evolving or challenging, you know, even sometimes just getting blasted just for wondering things out loud. Is there a line where you go, you know, I'm going to lose people if I say this, but I have to say it. How do you navigate that new instant PR world of cancel culture and, and, um, you know, Twitter police, especially uh, given your voice in faith circles? Yeah, I, um, I, I really enjoy Twitter. Um, I've really come to see it as more of a social experiment than anything like I it, it is a very like it, it it connects to my real world um it orbits it every once in a while but it, I in a way it like probably the smart and healthy thing to do is always to consider it as this is this is not the real world this is a it's like a forum it's almost like going to a job you know this is the office and um so I put it I'm able to kind of compartmentalize it a little bit um I I love that, and I don't have a ton of, of followers right now, but I do have you know about twenty thousand people that are following me, and you got and a blue check diverse. mark. So. <laughs> yeah, I do have the check mark, but I do love. I like the diversity of it. I I like the idea that that you know an angry conservative can weigh in on something. Um, I don't mind that. I don't mind the. The pushback, um, and in fact, I feel like it's it's really valuable, because because in the world of of the feedback loop, 
um, especially in social media, like we can all just hear ourselves talking to ourselves and repeating the same concept and idea and affirming it and never have to really engage with somebody else who might believe something different. And, uh, and I think it's important to always be around people who believe things that are different. Um, and so I, you know, I, I definitely feel like I'm, I'm developing some biases or, you know, a sense for like, oh, yeah, I pretty much knew this person would respond exactly that way sure. based <laughs> on, you know, some things. But um, we all kind of do that. But I try not to. Um, and and I do also, it, for me, it is also the, the practice of those muscles that have to be constantly worked that remind me that people are whole people. They're not caricatures and it's they're not just their political position. They're not just their geography, their skin color. Like they are there's a whole person that is a whole universe. And so we can never really just let social media make somebody one dimensional. Well, we're um, yeah. we're we're a fan of your Twitter as well. I know you said you love to. We I personally have enjoyed watching your videos that you've done lately. With the, I thought you did a great take on Against All Odds by Phil Collins. Obviously, oh. your version <laughs> of Human Nature was really good. We both, yeah. ironically, on April first, Rick rolled the world. We advertised that we were going to do Photograph by Nickelback, and then they clicked oh. on the link, and it was never going to give you up by Rick Astley. And Brilliant. ironically enough, the same day you uh, you Rick rolled some people on April Fool's yes. Day. So great. Minds think alike. We like to think. Good. So. Yeah. It was. It was. I knew it was a cool thing to do at the beginning of a quarantine, but it felt <laughs> also very important to do. So yeah, it was. It was yeah. well timed, well played. <laughs> now there is a question that I ask everyone that we interview. So this is something that we ask every single person that comes on here. Um, you're on tour. You go into a gas station. What is your gas station snack food of choice? And I'll tell you mine while you're thinking of it. I'll go and I get a Three Musketeers bar. Um, cause when I was growing up, my mom said you could have any candy bar you want. And I found the one that has the most ounces. So that's the biggest, the most ounces for your money. Cause all, they're all the yeah. same price. So I get a three mm-hmm. musketeers bar. What does Dan get when he goes into a gas station on tour? What's your snack food? Yeah, my snack food is, um, uh, it's either going to be some pop tart flavor. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. What's your favorite Pop Tart flavor? That's a good. Dip. I think I think my favorite is the uh, cinnamon and brown sugar. Okay, classic. Uh, I asked my friends yeah. that on Tuesday. Mine is strawberry milkshake. Have you what? tried strawberry milkshake that just came out? With no, it? it's in the. If you no, like no. the original strawberry, you will yeah. love strawberry milkshake. It's in a pink right. box. It's a limited edition. It's not been out too long. Grab yourself Great. a strawberry milkshake. I don't know Pop-Tart. if I believe you on that, yeah. one, dude. It's in my cabinet. Send it. I'll send you. Send <laughs> All you right. One. Um, yeah, so so it's usually a pop tart or uh, or it's fig newtons, and I know okay. that people will be like, "How really fig newtons?" But I love them. I don't mind the eleven bug parts per cookie. I don't <laughs> feel like I'm fine with that. The warning is yeah. just another way I get to be a little bit more rock and roll because I'm willing to take that risk. Living wow. life on the wild side. Okay, hold up. Yeah. Is that a real thing? Oh yeah, it is absolutely real. Yeah, yeah. it's on the, con- the it's container on the that. That you're allowed, they are allowed to have at least, you know, 11 or up to 11 bug parts per cookie. It doesn't say how big those bug parts are or small. So, you know. Take your, wow. take your chances. Yeah. That really yep. shook me just then. <laughs> well, we, do, we do want to give you a chance, too, to talk on uh, Bloodwater Mission a little bit and anything else that you want to pitch. But I would like you to talk a little bit on Bloodwater Mission. Um, you can pick any of the things, Thousand Miles Project, 40 Days of Water, whatever, back to school, anything you want to touch on. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll just mention it. Yeah, Bloodwater has been this crazy part of my life um, where uh, 
Yeah. I mean, we're, we're shifting like everybody has had to shift in the season with the COVID-19 uh, in, in Africa. Um, you know, they have far fewer resources than uh, a lot of the places that are experiencing just traumatic amounts of um, fatalities and illness. Um, and so we're, you know, we're, we're working really hard right now. We, we've realized though that blood water for as long as we've been around now for 15 years and for as long as we've been around, um, you know, the, the story of helping people have access to clean water is an urgent story, but it's not, it's also an ongoing story. So, so it tends to kind of fade in and out of, uh, of people's minds. They're not going, Oh, well, people are dying every day because they don't have access to water. Right. Um, you know, and so there's an urgency to it, but for some reason it doesn't stay uh, top plate. So what, one of the things that we've been realizing though, is that with this COVID-19 um, virus, that the work that we do is incredibly urgent because it's all around water and sanitation and hygiene. And so um, the organizations that are our partners in Africa doing all the stuff on the ground there uh, that are all African led, you know, it's all people that live in these communities. Um, they, they are the front line. They're the ones providing soap, making sure people have the information. They're doing all of this new telecommunication stuff around making sure that people in all of these rural villages understand what COVID is. And, um, and we're basically seeing like, we're seeing them take action in ways that they never thought they knew how to do around HIV and AIDS when that started coming up. Um, now they've learned so much about it that it's a completely different story right now. They're so prepared. They're so able and smart and they're the experts in the, in the field. And so, um, we've been so encouraged even as we're kind of going, Oh, we know this is going to be devastating, but we also know that, it's not going to be as bad as it could be because all these people are now in place. So I'm really proud of the work that Bloodwater is doing there and the work of these partners because um, it really will mean the difference of life and death for thousands of people. Wow. So, yeah, that's very yeah. cool. Very, that's an, that's an honorable and admirable, you know, thing, uh, even as, <clears throat> as, as, as important as, you know, your work has been in the music world. Um, you know, this is definitely some of the more important, uh, things that you're involved with, uh, you know, outside that for sure. Um, yeah. where, what, what do you have going on musically these days or what else would you like people to know about that's going on with Dan Hasselton right now? Well, um, gosh, you know, musically speaking, I, I'm doing a lot more songwriting these days. Uh, I think so because Jars has been, we, we really, we stopped touring. Um, I guess it's been eight years ago now, um, that wow. we decided that we just didn't want to be out on the road. And, uh, yeah, I know it sounds amazing to think that it's been eight years, but, um, we still get together and do the occasional show, but, um, but we haven't talked about making records together as a band in a long time. And I think for myself, I thought that if Jars wasn't making music, that I probably just didn't need to make music. And, uh, and I've changed my mind on that. Uh, and so I've been doing a lot more writing, doing a lot more preparing, getting myself in a place to say, okay, what, what does music that I make sound like in maybe in a post jars of clay mm. world. So, <laughs> you know, so, so I've been, um, yeah, I've just been writing a lot more and thinking a lot more about the way the world looks to me and how would I describe it? Also not being so tethered to um, maybe that CCM community, being able to write 
uh, more like an adult and, uh, you know, and also know that, you know, I'm a, I'm a middle-aged man who <laughs> is not going to be at, I'm not making the rock and roll I made when I was right. starting to I'm making something different now. So what will that be like? So it's been an exciting time to explore that. Um, I'm hoping that within the year that um, I'll be able to start actually digging in and recording stuff that, that will matter and will be part of a bigger bigger project uh for me musically in the future well as as we've gushed we've been a fan of most of everything that you've put your hands to so we're excited to hear where this next step goes for you absolutely and whatnot i got one more question that i'd like to like to pose uh before we before we let you go and you've been so great thank you for Uh, your time absolutely man um where do you where do you hear the influence of jars of clay now who did the ccm boom of the 90s birth that can now vote and drink and rent cars Oh man, that's a great question. Um, Taylor Swift. <laughs> oh, no, no. I, no, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I wish, but no. Um, I don't know. It's. I'm always fascinated when people come up to me who listen to Jars of Clay growing up. Um, people in the music space, because it's not who you'd imagine, and it's not who you'd expect. Um, and I forget sometimes that we we actually were pretty much we were pretty well known worldwide right. um, for a good season. Um, I forget that, um, uh, and and so it is interesting, like the the kinds of people and the genres of music that they're a part of. Uh, that would say, oh yeah, I listened. Jars was a big part of the music I listened to, and some of it was because their families were like very conservative they wouldn't let them listen to regular like rock and roll music but the jars music for some reason made it under the fence you know right. yeah. <laughs> they were able to get it so there's a lot of that uh, attached to people's stories um so i don't yeah i don't know though specifically i, I couldn't necessarily mention a band where i'm like oh yeah they um they had an influence like that but but i'm loving all of the stuff uh the folk influence of you know even um oh gosh just um, the, everything's becoming a blank right now to me. <laughs> iron and like iron and wine, or okay. uh, oh, yeah, the Decemberists yeah. and groups like that that I feel like are, um, you know, they they have the pieces of what Jars was doing, um, back then. So well, I yeah. can t- I can tell you, Jar stuff still uh, reaches people of all different. Uh, different faucets because I was I always like to read when I'm watching the video. I'm a video guy. I'll watch the videos on YouTube. I'm still that guy, and I always like to read below what people are saying. I'm not a commenter, but I'll read below. And so many people are like, "I'm an atheist, but this song still rocks," or you know, "I'm not on this. Uh, I don't see the same way, but I'm yeah. here, and this song is great." Or I got here because of this. So it's so neat to see that your music that then and now still is reaching people around. Um, and getting in the, in the ears of all different kinds of people. So uh, yeah, I appreciate that. H- hang your head high on that if you needed some more affirmation. Yeah, yeah, thanks. We'll feel, yeah, feel you full of it. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dan. This has been great. You've been a lot of fun, man. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. This has been a fantastic way to, again, to just kind of, yeah, think back on, on things I haven't thought about in a long time. So I appreciate it. Absolutely. Congratulations we'll on done. 25 years after yeah. that, of that uh, first years. album and, and Flood. Uh, yeah being the the breakthrough uh for you guys so congratulations we're real excited to hear that you're you know thinking about putting some new stuff together musically and we'll we'll definitely look forward to that and uh so from the great song podcast we say thank you so much for your time thanks for being generous and being cool and uh we wish you all the best we'll catch up soon thanks dan all right
podcast. All right, kids, there we have it. That was Dan Hasseltine, lead singer of Jars of Clay. Uh, we hope you enjoyed that as much as we Lots did. Lots of fun. We're, we're just out here living our living our boyhood dreams, talking to hey. all our musical heroes. And so. as we record this, actually today we have five interviews yeah. after we hang up this uh, this bookend. That's right. So we're we're really excited to jump in. That was a good. That was a great interview, Dan. You were awesome. Thanks yep. for hanging out with That's us. That's right. Yeah, I was thinking we might be able to. We've do, we've done this with one other person. We did this with Dave. I think we might be able to do this with Dan. I, it would be fun to have Dan come back on and talk about some other song. Absolutely. You know, just c- some random, not Jars of Clay, not CCM, n- you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Just some awesome song. I think that would be a that lot of fun. That would be good. He would yeah. be good at that. That's cool. Good call. And you guys pick up that album if you haven't from 95, the first Jars of Clay album. It's yeah. fantastic. Uh, every track on that is money. Liquid, Sinking, Love Song for a Savior, Like a Child, Art of Me, Boy on a String. Jeez. It's all good. It's Yeah, it's, it's just one, especially if you grew up in that era it's just one memory after another. It is. You know what I'm saying? When those, when uh, I love it when you listen back to an album and and the first two seconds of every song does something to you. Yeah, I love that yeah. so much. And this is definitely one of those albums where you just hit play and go back in time and uh, and get hit with it all over again. Thank you guys uh, so much for hanging out with us. This is yeah. great. We we're happy anniversary, Rob. Hey. Happy 25th anniversary, Flood. Yeah. Good, good times, keep, all the fields. Keep on flooding. That's right. <laughs> keep, keep, flooding. keep on, keep on drowning. There we go. Um, listen, if you want to connect with us some more, do it online. Go to greatsongpodcast.com for all your podcast needs. Uh, maybe pick yourself up a T-shirt. You can go to uh, to uh, our, our our Facebook page, facebook.com slash greatsongpod, or our Facebook group, which you can get to from there. Um, which we have a lot of fun on. Hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at Great Song Pod. If you want to support the show on Patreon, you can do that as well. Go to patreon.com slash Great Song Pod. Uh, toss a coin in the bucket and help <laughs> us keep this thing rolling. And uh, we can try and give our thank yous by supplying you with some extra goodies. So uh, if you want to do that, you can go to patreon.com slash Great Song Pod. Uh, and we are most grateful for everyone who listens, engages, supports the show on any level. Thank you, thank you, thank you a million times. Rain, rain on my face. Uh, let's, oh, you may, we made you a joke right before we went on air about uh, zombies, right? Oh, that's right. I was singing brain, brain on my face. The zombie version of Flood. <laughs> and now it made me want to just rewrite the whole thing from like the Walking Dead perspective of, uh, yeah. So we if should If you do guys that. have got a great line that we have to include in yeah. our zombie version that's of right. brain, brain on my face. <laughs> I guess we call it blood. Oh, oh yeah. perfect. There we go. Dang it. That's awesome. Okay. We need the next line. Hit Help us up. Help us out. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever. Brain, brain on my face. What's the next line? <laughs> blood. Oh, I love it. All right. We'll be back again next week with another great song. Until then, I'm Rob. I'm JP. Go listen to some music.